Today's December 15th of 2023, and we welcome you once again to our Chapter 49 podcast. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree, and I do some work as far as producing this podcast and some other media type of things for Chapter 49. So we're very glad you took time out of your busy schedule to speak with us. And of course, we once again welcome our chapter president, Duncan Giles, back to the podcast. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. I I have to tell you, I did have to... (laughs) We, you and I were talking beforehand, and you were saying, well, there's some work going on in the building, and you probably won't hear it. Well, guess what? I could hear it. <laughs> there's work going on in the Minton K. Park Federal Building, where you are. Just to remind people, uh, the way we do this podcast, we do it on Zoom. Duncan is in his office in downtown Indianapolis, the Minton K. Park Federal Building. I'm in my office uh, in a suburban area of Indianapolis Fishers, and that's how we always record this podcast. But I could hear some pounding. So if you hear a little pounding now and then, uh, no, it's it's nothing serious. The Minton Capehart building is still uh, standing up, and it's fine. They're just doing some work on it. Well, we're not sure if it's standing up and fine, but yeah, they're just doing work on it. Okay, it's sta- as of the moment, it's standing up, but okay. you never know. It's standing up. We don't find. We'll, we'll we'll worry about that later, I guess. After having worked in that building for many years, uh, you know, I, it, it's it, it. How should I put it? It it is a building from the era of the seventies when they the government built buildings like that. If you go to Washington D.C., you'll see lots of buildings designed very much like Minton Capehart, and uh, that was just the design of the time. And thankfully for everyone, that design went away after a while. (laughs) I'm sorry to say, but, uh, well, we are here to talk about a number of things. I want to say one quick thing. You know, I I just saw something uh, the other day. We are in the middle of December now, so Christmas is and the holiday season is near. Just uh, saw something on the news today on the 15th. If you haven't shipped your Christmas presents by now, you're in big trouble. Uh, Yeah, you better get yourself in gear on that because you don't want to upset loved ones, uh, especially going out to the guys with uh, significant others. Make sure you take care of that. Yes. Very good advice, by the way, um, for that. (laughs) With that in mind, uh, Duncan, you uh, have had some updates recently and – from the National Union, and we want to talk about some of those and, and some other items. But, you know, we talked about the midterm bargaining. The, you bargained the five-year contract. That's in effect now. But midway through that contract, each side, the management and NTEU, has the right to bring up, I think, five different articles uh, of the contract to, to look at uh, possible changes. And some of the discussion has centered around the awards amount. It is also centered on telework and the mileage rules that apply for that. Uh, so, And also on the management side, they, they are wanting to increase what we call hoteling. And again, it's not staying at a hotel. Hoteling means you share desks. And, and, and the IRS has been very, very adamant they want to push this and they want to expand this even more even it doesn't seem to make any difference whether there's room and post of duty or not well we just want to continue hoteling and you've talked about that in previous podcasts so give us uh, your update uh, from what you've learned about this midterm bargaining you are not on this bargaining team but you certainly you know a lot of the people on it both uh, from ntu staff and from the chapter presidents uh, tell us uh, what you know about that 
Yeah, where it stands right now, and this was from an update uh, earlier this week, and I, you know, who knows? I could be tapped to go when it uh, has the last session or the mediation, or even if we go before the impasse panel. But as of right now, no, I'm not on it. Um, the awards, we opened up the awards article. Um, you know, this was a decision made between our national president, Doreen Greenwald, uh, Vice President Anand Mooney, uh, Director of Negotiations, uh, Ken Moffat, and Director of Field Operations, uh, uh, Dan Casper, among others, to make sure that we try and increase the amount of awards. I mean, people are looking at it going, man, we're getting more awards than we've ever gotten before. Yeah, but we think that that percentage, which is at 2% right now, should be even higher. So we're trying to get a greater amount of awards uh, so people, when they do get these awards, can get something that they, you know, it, it's more substantial. And there are other governmental agencies that are doing this that have awards that are even uh, greater amounts than ours. So that's what we're trying to get towards. On the telework, um, our main thing is, you know, we want to try and include every position that we can that would be eligible for telework to be able to do so. And in addition, our big thing is, is we opened the Article 50 up because we want to eliminate the 200-mile uh, mileage limitation. Now, that on the one hand is great. That would mean that, you know, you could be working in Indianapolis and living in El Paso, Texas. The downside to that is, is you know, would you still have to come into the post of duty twice a pay period? There are several things that they're trying to look at. Um, you know, the chapter presidents that are on there, Lori McCann from uh, Chicago from Chapter 10 being a mainstay. Uh, you know, they're all looking at creative solutions to see if there's a way around that particular issue. Uh, because, you know, it's it, if you're a thousand miles away, yeah, it's great to not have to go into the office most of the time, but you still have that twice a pay period, then you're going to have to do that. Um, the management is really pushing on the hoteling. They opened up that particular article that deals with, uh, facilities and seating. They're trying to reduce space, understandably so. In a lot of posted duties right now, there's an excess of space. There's an excess, excess of cubicles. Now, we don't know with this mass hiring that they're going to be doing, especially field work, um, you know, ROs, RAs, TCOs, if they're going to be doing, you know, being able to expand into these seats. And they're looking at every post of duty that has a uh, attack in office, attack office, a walk in office, to be a standard of at least four cubicles per office. So even in remaining space, they're going to want to increase that. But they also want to take a look at, okay, if we've got people working from home or working out in the field and they only come in twice a pay period, we should be able to go to the three to one at the very least, three people sharing one desk space. And they're really pushing hard on that. Folks, this is coming. If you are on frequent telework, this is coming. You're going to be sharing desks. I hear from people almost weekly. Well, I don't want to share a desk. Totally get that. Totally understand it. Have no problem with it. If you don't want to share a desk, come in off of telework. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then 
you're going to be sharing a desk. You know, that's those are going to be the options eventually. How soon they're going to be able to do it, you know, we're trying to make sure everything's done in a reasonable fashion, i.e., why go to hoteling if you already have, you know, open cubicles? To me, it doesn't make any sense to say, okay, we've got 20 cubicles, we've got five people, we want these five people in, in two or three cubicles, and we're going to eliminate the rest. Well, right now, while you have the space, until you release it, why shouldn't everybody have their own desk? I understand wanting to get smaller. I understand wanting to do releases to to make it, you know, a little bit better. But until you do that, employees shouldn't be punished. And the, the last part of that on that is when they're looking to go to a different post of duty, when they're looking to move or do a redesign in a current post of duty, once a lease is up, they're going to be looking at, who is, uh, who is doing frequent telework, uh, who is out of the office more than 80 hours a month, and they are going to be making space judgments on that. So, you know, anytime that you're looking at moving or shifting around a post of duty, you're going to be looking at that shared desk space, you know, interplaying it with that, what the business units are going to be saying they're hiring at a particular post of duty. So there are a lot of moving pieces right now. Nothing has been decided. It's still being talked about in D.C. and uh, probably will be for at least another week. And then we have, if needed, mediation. And then, uh, you know, if either party is happy at the end of mediation, at the end of fact-finding, then it goes before the impasse panel. So nothing has changed yet. Nothing is going to change soon. But that's where we're at in working those different issues. Yeah, and if there are changes in this midterm bargaining, when would those provisions go into effect, or do we know? Uh, it'll depend on um, what they want to do. I would guess, and again, this is just a bald guess by me, that it would probably be uh, October 1st would be my guess. Uh, that's of this, this year, correct? Year. Yeah, this yeah. this year. Well, the reason I, I bring that up is that, uh, and I want to just ask one question about this, because you've been involved in bargaining many times before. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, sometimes you have to shake management up to figure out what they want in order to, to come up with an agreement. I've been pretty clear from what you're saying. They want to expand hoteling. They want to expand their ability to use it. They obviously have the data. They know where people are teleworking more often. So they have that data and know that's part of the mix. But do you, and I don't want you to predict a final you know, uh, agreement or decision or detail on this, but do you think we're going to see um, the union move closer to the management uh, idea on hoteling if the management comes part of our way as far as you know awards are concerned and uh, the mileage issue on telework uh that's a really good question one that's too early to say at this point i but i understand the question i think it's a very good one it's going to depend on how everybody is what everybody can live with and that's what it boils down to because i mean it is uh, already set up that they can go to the three to one, uh, how soon they would go to it. If we have space and things of that nature, um, you know, I think it's going to play a large part in how agreeable and you can be agreed with that particular piece of it. And then you've got the other part. Cause I think it's very important 
um, for us as a union representing the employees, and this is what we've heard, people, people tend to like awards for some reason. And people tend to like them when they're larger rather than smaller. So we believe that there is money in the budget that they can uh, increase the awards amounts. And we want to make sure that we're pushing hard for that and um, to waive the 200-mile um, restriction that they have that you must live within 200 miles of your post of duty. Now, that, like I said, that's going to create its own issues. And how that's going to be worked out is going to be, you know, the devil's always in the details. And that's where we're going to be at that. So I think there's room for movement on everybody's side. But how it's going to end up shaking out and all these moving pieces uh, fit together, we're not sure yet. Well, one more thing on this hoteling issue. It seems to me, and, and you've been t talking with me about this, and I want you to, to kind of give your, your take on this. These business operating divisions uh, who operate, you know, W&I and SBSE and LB&I, all these different divisions, uh, operating business units, uh, they have to deal with something called FMSS. They're the uh, ma people who manage the space for IRS. And you've been noticing something that's of concern that these business operating units, the management there, and FMSS, the, the people who manage the space, don't seem to be communicating very well. What's going on there? Uh, I wish I could tell you what was going on there, but there is a, uh, there is a big disconnect. Um, at, and I'm sure it's nationally, not locally um, on where this is happening. As a matter of fact, it, it scares me when I contact FMSS and say, Hey, do you know that you've got three more people going into this particular post of duty? Uh, no, we do not. You know, they should be the ones saying, Hey, we've got space available this is how you work it. This is what you want to do. Business units should be saying, okay, we know we've got this space available in this particular POD. This is what we're looking at, FMSS. But I think because FMSS has told the business unit so many times, well, no, that doesn't really work, or we're full here, or um, you know, things of that nature, that they don't want to deal with that. A classic example that we have is in the uh, Chicagoland area where uh, in Indiana, it's Maryville, Indiana's posted duty is an outskirt of Chicago. And there are a couple other ones that are outskirts of Chicago. These PODs right now are completely full and they're already hoteling. So there's no room at the end, but yet business units continue to want to put people there. They don't want to put them in downtown Chicago for obvious reasons. People don't want to apply to downtown Chicago. There's no parking inconvenient, et cetera, but they want to put them in these outskirts and there's just no room. And FMSS has told them, uh, chapter presidents like Lori McCann and myself have told them, uh, that, you know, we can't put any more people in here. So we want to make sure that, you know, somewhere there's communication about this because there's got to be some common sense. We have a post of duty that's going to be closing, um, next year, and the folks are going to be moving down to uh, the federal building here in Indianapolis. You know, this has been going on going for a couple of years. It's been pushed back a little bit, but they're getting ready to uh, start moving forward in the project here to make the space so these people can move down from the post of duty. They're still hiring people in that post of duty that's going to be closing in less than a year. Uh, makes no absolutely no sense to me, but 
It's like, okay, as long as they understand they're going to be moving downtown, that's fine, but make sure these employees know that. And again, it's just a somewhere there's a communication loop missing between FMSS and these business units. Let's move away from that. You know, I, I, I remember when, and I've been retired for more than 12 years now, but I do remember there was this uh, employee personal page, EPP. We would go on there and we would have all, all this information personnel-wise about ourselves. Uh, I guess it's changed so much I wouldn't recognize it because it's changed so much. It was not a bad thing necessarily. You would hope there would be updates to a system like that. But uh, there's some developments on this EPP employee, pers- employee personal page. So tell me what's going on there. Yeah, this is one where the IRS has reached out to um, the finance center who operates this page. Uh, For anybody who's been on the EPP, the employee personnel page, this is where you look at your earnings and leave statement. You can get your W-2 information off of there. If you're making um, any life changes like health insurance, life insurance, things of that nature, this is where you go and do it um, yourself. Uh, for anybody who's experienced this, uh, some some agencies are able to use their uh, their PIV, their uh, basically their ID badge card, to be able to do this. IRS has not been one of those agencies yet, so we have to go through the normal process, and the normal process has the uh, recapture, as they call it. That's the technical name for it, and this is the one where it's like okay. You know, click on a picture with a fire hydrant in it. Click on the pictures with bicycles in it. Click on the picture with buses in it. I know all these because you click on these pictures, you get them all right, and it still takes you to the next screen to ask you to do it again and again and again and again and again. It's like Groundhog Day for recapture. Um, Something is wrong in this system that we're not able to basically – do this one time and get in. It can take, I was on the system earlier this week, and it can take anywhere from uh, five to ten times of having to click all these to make sure that you can get on. And this has just been intolerable for a lot of people. I just look at it as a necessary evil, but apparently it's driving some people nuts. So we're trying to get this work with them to either get this fixed or let us go in and do it with our um, our cards so we're already secure, they know who we are, and we can go in and do the things we need to look at or changes we need to make. You know, Duncan, I remember promises made to us 20 years ago when I was still working for the agency that we were going to be able to get in based on our fingerprint, maybe an eye scan, a face scan. They were going to make things very easy. for. That has simply not happened. In fact, if anything, it's regressed. Yeah, that's one of those things where we always try and, you know, the IRS has the best of 1990s technology, by golly, and we're just keeping with that. Uh, you know, several other government agencies apparently are doing the same thing. I mean, that's that's where it should be going. Fingerprint. Face, I mean, you know, when you can open up your phone with your face or get into your bank account with your face ID, you know, you should be able to do things, you know, to change your health insurance with your face ID rather than have to go through 10 minutes of trying to say, yes, I'm not a robot. This is where, you know, this is where the buses are. The pictures of the buses are. 
yes, I'm not mistaking any of them, and why aren't you giving me access? Let's move on to another issue because we do have a continuing resolution at the IRS until February 2nd. We don't know what will happen after that. So I guess a, a major question that comes up is, okay, if there is a government, we hope there isn't one. We've dodged a couple of bullets already in recent months. But if there is a government shutdown as of February 2nd or after February 2nd, will we get any paychecks after that? And the answer is... Yep. Uh, the answer is yes and then no. Uh, <laughs> the reason that this has come up, because there in the past, especially uh, when we have longer shutdowns, there's a great deal of uncertainty about paychecks. And what we have found out, and I give National Loan to you a ton of credit for being forward thinking on this. They have gone ahead. They have found out that if we do have a shutdown right after February 2nd, if the continuing resolution runs out, and they haven't passed our budgets. <laughs> Passing a budget. I'm sorry, I cracked myself up. Um, if there's another continuing resolution, not another continuing resolution or passing of the budget, then we will get a paycheck on February 5th. The next paycheck due to the uh, due to the President's Day holiday would be February 20th. If the um, shutdown is still going on during that time period, then we would not get that paycheck or any paycheck thereafter until um, the appropriations have passed or a continuing resolution has passed and we have money flowing again. So it's very possible that um, if we do have this long shutdown, because we are in filing season, a lot more people may be needing to work, i.e. service centers, phones, processing, things of that nature, as well as some field folks, and not receive, you know, again, if it's a long uh, shutdown, not receiving paychecks until after everything is settled. Okay, I guess we just have to lay it out the way we know it. And uh, it isn't necessarily good news, but it's the news you need to know. Speaking of that, one thing I've always noticed is that the, uh, the uh, grapevine at IRS in a particular area of work can be really interesting. Uh, all kinds of rumors start to, to to spread, and one is going around, and this one's about revenue agents, that revenue agents will be traveling in, in a very different way and a much more aggressive way than they've been traveling in the past. Uh, you've been looking into this. What have you found? Yeah, I had heard of this rumor from uh, our great steward and treasurer, Zoology, up in uh, Northwest Indiana, uh, several weeks ago, I've been trying to nail it down. And I talked to an executive last week, a, a exam executive, and basically the rumors are true. What they are looking at doing, uh, sometime in the future did not specify how soon it would be is because we're going after more high wealth. And that's the key thing. They're going after high wealth targets that there may be a lot more traveling done by revenue agents um, than there have been previously. And when I talk travel, as you and I discussed before, you're saying, oh, somebody from Indianapolis might go to South Bend or something of that nature. No, somebody from Indianapolis may be hopping a plane to Minnesota and doing a case in Minnesota. Or they may be going to Iowa. Or they may be going to, um, you know, someplace else. It, it could be... Um, 
it can be quite straining. And when I discussed this with the executive, um, you know, I said, aren't there enough high-risk cases in this particular area for people not to have to travel those distances? And apparently they've made a big study about this, taking a look, and they figured that they can get better bang for their buck, so to speak, by doing this. Now, one of the points that came up uh, during a meeting when this was brought up to the executive was, well, you know, I've got small children. You know, I don't really want to move things, you know, go to these places and be away from my children, the scheduling, things that need to be taken care of, doctor's appointments for children, things of that nature, caring for an elderly parent. Um, and the executive was was very understanding about that and said, you know, in those types of situations, uh, they'll be weighed, they'll be looked at. Now, how much weight or how they'll be looked at, we don't know, because uh, there could be directives coming down from above that executive on how it's going to be done. You know, the other thing about this is it's just going to be a big strain on travel because uh, of the travel budget, I would think, would just balloon up. And is this something that they're ready for? And my, again, my understanding from my discussions with her were that, you know, on these types of situations, maybe it could be that they have to go out for an opening to, you know, opening conference, sit down with the POA and or the taxpayer, you know, get the understanding, tell them what information they're going to need. Then everything being done electronically or via, uh, you know, mail or whatever it needs to be done. And then maybe perhaps only have to go back out if there's a closing conference or something of that nature. And I told the executive, I said, I think that's awfully optimistic. I, I like the way you're thinking, but I think it's awfully optimistic. I think that there's oftentimes um, more things that have to be done uh, in person than just that. So I think it could greatly increase those travel costs and time away from home. The thing that revenue agents have to keep in mind is it does say in their, you know, in their PDs that up to 50% they may be traveling up to 50% of their time. So it's not fun. And it's something we're going to be, you know, if this does officially come to pass and we're hearing it will be, I'm sure that this will be on the radar or I'm sure it is on the radar of national NTU. And we'll want to discuss impact and implementation. That's what NTU can, can bargain over. Management has the right to direct the work, but NTU can talk about the impact and implementation of this. So the impact of what it's going to be on their employees and the implementation of how it's going to be done are things that can be negotiated. And I'm betting there'll be a lot of discussions, if not negotiation, over that. And speaking of travel reimbursement, uh, there is an increase in the standard mileage rate for next year. Yeah, businesses, um, the standard mileage rate for businesses are going up to a cent and a half which I believe is going to make it at 65 cents a mile. Um, and then what usually happens is once the IRS determines what the business rate is going to be, then OPM turns around and says, okay, this is um, OPM or GSA, turns around and says this is going to be the, uh, or OMB, uh, is going to be the mileage rate for all government employees. So that would in turn... Uh, impact folks who are traveling to appointments, things of that business appointments, things of that nature. Uh, it's not automatic and it doesn't always follow the same, 
But the vast majority of the time in the, in the number of years I've been doing this, I would say 95% of the time, whatever the business rate is, the, uh, the government rate is then soon matched thereafter. Okay, Duncan, we'll certainly be glad when the work is done. We can really hear the work. <laughs> is, that, if, is that work being done next door to your office? Where, what's happening in the uh, building? No, it's, da- it's down the hall, and I have soundproofing in my room, so it's a lot better in here than it is in basically any other office around this. Oh, we had a training class around the other side, and they were hearing it. Hmm. Uh, the instructor, a couple of instructors were coming into my office saying, can we just come in here to talk to you <laughs> about some peace and quiet for a little bit? Sure. Oh, my come goodness. Come on in. And uh, now your final comment. You know, a, uh, someone I knew many years ago was a friend of many years ago, uh, just passed. Uh, a gentleman by the name of George McGinnis was a great basketball player, knew him when I worked with the Pacers. Um, you know, but more than a great player, he was an even better human being. And it just reminded me that I hadn't had a chance to talk to him for several years. And, you know, reach out to those people if, that you were close to that meant a lot to you at different parts of your life. Reconnect with them a little bit. Tell them what they've meant to you. Let them know these types of things, um, you know, before it's too late. Like in this case, you know, George had a heart attack and had been in failing health for a while anyway, and then had this happen. So I would urge everybody out there, if you have this type of situation, let folks know how you feel before it's too late, before they're gone, and you can't express these feelings. You know, I never met George McGinnis, but his reputation in Indiana was amazing because uh, all the the different things he accomplished. People have to remember the Indiana State High School Basketball Championship is a very big deal. And only a handful of Indianapolis schools have won that championship. One was Indianapolis-Washington while George McGinnis was playing, and he dominated that tournament in 1969. Uh, Then he went on to Indiana University, but professional basketball called him early. He ended up with the Indiana Pacers. I think even when he left the Pacers, he had good things to say about them, saying, I know how the business goes here, and uh, he ended up, uh, I think in Philadelphia, if I remember right, playing for the 76ers. Yep. But he knew that the Pacers at that point just couldn't compete for a contract, and he had good things to say about the ownership and management of the Pacers, but went on and, and paid, played for the Pacers again once they joined the NBA. But he was toward the end of his career. He wasn't quite the same player, but he could still contribute. And what I hear from everyone, the same thing you have just said, that uh, he was an unbelievable basketball player but an even better human being. And when you're talking yep. about elite athletes, that's a rare thing to say. You know, they take, they kind of you know take it to their head sometimes. That never seemed to happen to him. He kept that common touch. I'll never forget a story. A friend of mine played in a, I think it was a Pony Colt League, which is kind of like 15, 16 year old uh, baseball league. And there were some apartments overseeing the baseball field. And George McGinnis walked out on the balcony and started looking at this baseball game, and the game stopped. <laughs> Everybody just looked up and, and waved at George, and he waved back, and he says, hey, guys, I played baseball too once. You know, have a good game. Walk back in. Game started again, but, you know, that's George McGinnis. He walked into a room, and he took it over. We thank you for watching and listening to our Chapter 49 podcast. You just heard uh, Duncan Giles, our chapter president. Uh, if you like this podcast, let other people know. Spread the words. Uh, just, just spread the uh, uh, 
the link if you have it. You can go to podcast by Larry Land and we're on uh, many different uh, platforms. Uh, you'll see all my podcasts. This is one that I produce in a long line of them. So thank you once again. We appreciate the fact that you take time out to listen or watch the podcast. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind. Oh, 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 oh